Can you imagine a world without color? To be devoid the gift of vision that revels in the play of light and dark? Unimaginably bleak, isn't it? Ah, but we aren't on toxic for life to converse a dull old journey, are we? What do you speak about in my conversation with Padmakar Kapagantula, Chairman, MD, and Director HR, EPCL, as part of Petroleum, India's second largest fuel retailer is surprise about art, painting, photography, and of course, people. KPO Paddy, as he's called affectionately, is an admirable people leader with several innovative people-centered solutions that he rolled out, some of first within the Indian PSU industry. It isn't a wonder then that very recently he was chosen to head BPCL, apart from being the HR director, at such a crucial juncture when the government when the government is all set to sell its 52.98% stake in the company. And hey, there's a huge cherry on top in the story. Amidst all the added responsibility, KP is also working hard to put up his first solo painting exhibition on the theme, Framework and Phenomena, which will be exhibited in Jahangir Art Gallery, Mumbai, in October 2020. That's next month. You must check his wonderful paintings to believe how good he is, and you may do so now by visiting www.cxlife.com and checking his video interview with me. In the meanwhile, let's get started as we take you down the story of a young agriculture graduate who joined the reputed Tata Institute of Social Sciences, TIS, Asia's oldest institute for professional social work, thereafter joined BPCL and worked across ranks for nearly two decades all the while, inspired by his people and his paintbrush. It's all about different strokes now, isn't it? So time to bring in the light, we say. Happy listening. Padmakar, hi. Um, welcome to Talk Sexo Life. It's great to have you on our show. Thank you very much. Thanks for looking at us, Tantri. Thank you. Um, as you know, we showcase stories of business leaders who uh, follow a passion outside of work. And uh, there are three striking aspects about your story. One, uh, the reason we're having this very colorful conversation, uh, your talent, uh, the way you magnificently put these wonderful, lovely pieces of art on canvas. Second, also, um, um, it's quite rare these days, you mentioned on your LinkedIn profile for an for an employee to have remained with an organization for, you know, <laughs> for three decades plus. Yes, and uh, that's, that is also very uh, fascinating, coupled with, of course, you're an HR leader. And the third, your initiative to build, uh, your team's initiative to build, uh, you know, I passion, uh, which we think we, it's commendable uh, to have thought of such an unique concept you know, which uh, I wonder how many corporates are really doing this, you know, walking that mile and trying to engage employees based on passion and you know, making those passion-based communities. And we'll tackle all of these various aspects sure. from the course of our conversation. Um, now, to begin with, would you just share with us a little bit about your childhood? Uh, who influenced you the most and what are your uh, earliest, you know, uh, memories which you think might, might have shaped you I mean, since you're an artist? <laughs> Yeah, um, my memory runs pretty deep and my earliest memory goes back to when I was two years old or so, shockingly. So, so for a long time, I used to wonder if it was true till it was validated by my mother. Yeah, those things did happen. Uh, 
So one thing is I have a very strong visual memory even today, um, going back up to a very long time back. So in terms of significant characters, there were many. Uh, but I think I must say that the most important of all these were my father and mother, very protective and very, very sensitive in terms of the way they brought me up. And uh, both my grandfathers, they were very powerful figures by themselves, completely self-made. Uh, they brought up the families from nothing to a lot of things and very strong characters. I think somewhere that uh, also played a very strong, significant influence. And there were many um, adults who were also very tender and caring in terms of dealing with me because I was a very shy young person, uh, child at the same time, shy of playing out, a more Hindu character. But they understood my sensitivities and then they were very sensitive in terms of dealing with me. So I'm very grateful to a lot of them in terms of uh, having left their influences on me. So I could appreciate a whole lot of things about uh, the sense of space, dignity, boundaries, and um, what not to be was what I learned. And in the process of imbibing what I should be by picking up many things from them. Would you say that, that, um, you know, when you begin as a child, you're an introvert, you spend a lot of time with yourself. Does that give an added advantage of perhaps knowing who you are and then figuring out the world through the prism of, you know, what you see and that kind of even enabled you to be, get that artistic end of mind? Sure. Um, in school also, I used to come across a lot of bullies because I was not a big built person. Right. I was very small, normal. So my brother was fairly protective about me and then there were some other brother-like characters who were family friends children. And so therefore I used to read a lot. And at my home, my mother and my, her father they used to read quite a bit. So at an early age, I was introduced to a lot of adult literature of some kind, right. which was like O. Henry's story, right. The Last Leaf. Mm. So those had uh, made me look at life from a very different perspective. Whereas outside it was the world of police. So in a way you end up growing to be very idealistic in terms right. of what the world ought to be rather than the way it is. So so it, it influenced quite a bit. Reading all the books, all the literature in Telugu and English. So these were the two primary languages I grew up with. I understand that because I used to be somewhat the similar similar mold. I mean, not bullying my thoughts, but yes, I was quite introverted. So what I would do is just keep on reading books, you know, okay. anything that would come my way. My mom's books, uh, textbooks that used to be there, I used to read the late ninth grade literature, which was, you know, Charles Dickens, Oliver Twist, you know, all of those things. Uh, I think it gives you a very different view, right when you're young, you know, that it opens up an entire world and perhaps you mature, mature a little bit more. And you're the second, uh, I think, in the three as the middle child. The middle child. So, always has a drop. <laughs> in a way. Middle children are like middle class. <laughs> they're not really figured out either the top class or the bottom level, so you don't really know. <laughs> but yeah, you're very right, because that time uh, the Soviet literature was very cheap. Right. Um, with very brilliant exactly, uh, yeah. caricatures mm-hmm. as well as illustrations. Right, illustrations. And books. books were not really available. Right. So you had to go to the public libraries for men for children, which mm. are typically kept in gardens, I don't know why. Yeah. So I remember my sister and I used to walk down there and pick up and get all these books. 
So it was a wonderful world of imagination that I grew up in. Would you take up anything that illustrations that you would see and you would try and sketch it and draw it and things like that? How did it begin the whole um, fascination of drawing? I don't distinctly recall, but I recall one episode where I was, uh, you know, one, the neighborhood auntie kind of was admiring the goddess picture of Lakshmi I painted as a four or five-year-old child, probably. Oh, okay. So they said, uh, it's beautiful. Now, I don't recall, I don't have the picture right now. Mm. And uh, so then we had a family friend who was a very close friend of my dad and mom. So they used to go for all the movies together, the Western movies. Mm. And they used to bring books home about the movie. And uh, they would read up and then go, so they would appreciate it better. So he somewhere... He was also introverted, and so he understood probably my position. And so I still remember one day he brought some paper and then uh, candling watercolors and brushes and said, yeah, what it is. So I, I just opened and sat and painted an elephant and painted it blue. So I remember that. So <laughs> those are some of the earliest. That was my introduction to paintings. <laughs> and I had an uncle, my mom's uh, elder sister's husband, mm. the doctor, who was also self-made uh, painter. Mm. I started my works quite a bit. And he also used to encourage me to paint a lot. Wonderful. <laughs> oh, I forgot to ask you, in terms of the childhood as well, you were brought about, where were you born and brought up? Um, yeah, I was born in uh, a, a town called Grapele, Andhra Pradesh. It's near Kuntur. That's my mother's place. And those days, childbirth used to take place in your mom's home. Mm-hmm. So they had a maternity home. So that's how it was. Um, we are Andhra people. So my dad was born brought up in Chennai. And he was a chartered accountant. So he used to work for TBS. So long time we were brought up in Sikhilpat. Mm-hmm. And uh, thereafter we moved to Chennai. And so that's where it is. You graduated in agriculture. That's true. <laughs> My original aspiration was medicine, which didn't materialize. So okay. agriculture was the second best. And I presumed in my stupidity that it would be a cakewalk walking along the buns <laughs> like they show in the book. It's a very tough course. Right. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot all about nature and things. It's a four-year program. Mm-hmm. Uh, thereafter, I graduated towards uh, yes. this. Uh, thanks to an uncle of mine. Right. He told me there's a place called TIS, probably you can try it out. So that's where I But he joined TIS, um, and this is human resources. You're a shy person. Uh, it's all about people, interacting with them, understanding them. Uh, was there a dichotomy of sorts? I mean, maybe you understood them, but in terms of communicating, getting people on board, working across, uh, what aspect did, uh, in TIS also, when you're studying, what is that one striking thing that I mean, you actually took to and you realized that perhaps this is it? You know, this is the closest. Or was there such a thing? My one thing was HR was completely unknown to right. me. And I started understanding that there were many things, many disciplines that I didn't know about, about psychology, sociology, right. and, things. and these were very fascinating subjects. Uh, TX has opened my world in two ways. One was the first time I was interacting with uh, girls. And until such time, agriculture where I studied, there were many girls, <laughs> but they wouldn't speak to us at all. Very conservative world okay. where I studied. 
so here secondly uh, tiss also had uh, i would say it was profoundly multicultural in the sense of the foreign nationals uh, those days primarily from african countries and also from people from all over the different states in the mm. country so it opened up my world to possibilities i never knew existed and there were different disciplines in tiss and it was a very wonderful way of interacting with different persons understanding their issues and uh, all the gender things that were which otherwise i didn't know and there were also students from iran who that time they were i think mr khomeini was very popular at that time it was after the revolution so so there were different cultures which made it a very rich amalgam of of what the whole subject of hijab was on about and what people are all about and what are the aspects that one should really look at mm-hmm. and this also had the internship which was presented so it was not just the books you also were able to see hr in practice in different yeah. organizations um, so it was quite good ground in which i think it has stayed with me for a very long time even today yeah wonderful and then you joined BPC after I joined BPC in 1984 and I stayed on um, yeah one of the reasons why in the initial part also you said you yeah. have been here for more than 30 years yes it's 35 years plus yeah. there were opportunities outside but it's I think pursue and the reason being it's it's a wonderful company which gives you a lot of space to experiment and if you have ideas they encourage Uh, you do fumble and fall, and they're forgiven so long as your intentions are good, and you're made a very honest attempt about it. And you also get to pursue many things uh, in terms of openness of communication. So they are very interesting people that I grew up with in the company too. Wonderful. So in terms of your journey in BPCL, how do you see your own evolution in terms of? having changed as a person as a professional of course i mean otherwise i wouldn't have come to where i have come to i would have been yeah. to begin with i mean the the idealist in me was very very strong so mm-hmm. it was a world of shoulds and oughts and ought not to be and but over a period of time i understood the human frailties and uh, people are playing out the roles um so when you play out the role it's your personality that also comes through mm-hmm. and so everyone has a certain soft side to it which probably is not exposed because in the roles you are meant to be strong mm-hmm. but it's the vulnerability that also drives them right so at some stage i learned to understand that you must address the anxieties coming out of those vulnerabilities mm-hmm. for that ideal world to work itself out and uh, it's an enterprise of people yeah. otherwise as a company yes it's a distinct legal entity in the books but organizations are made of people and it's a people and their strengths and vulnerabilities which play out mm-hmm. and somewhere along the way i understood uh, initially people used to do you know in tiss etc they i learned the terminology called swot analysis mm-hmm. strengths weaknesses opportunities yeah. threats the yeah, ont still plays out but to me over a period of time i understood s and w the strengths and weaknesses they're not very clearly cut out like that anymore 
in some roles, what you think something is a strength, in some other role, it's a weakness, and mm-hmm. so on. Right. So there's a lot of fluidity about things. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I also learned is you cannot typecast people. Right. In some things, they fumble, and some things, they rise up. So it's about recognizing their passions, their interests, and their mature side and their passions, and only then it brings a lot of life into the world. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, HR as a profession, if you look at it, it's, it has got to be, it's, the foundation of it is perhaps idealistic, that you look at employees, each one is equal. You know, organizations work in that way that you need to promote wellness. But in terms of the real world as well, uh, how do you work um, and since now you're a leader, how have you worked around those uh, gray areas, you know, wherein uh, you need to snap out of it? Certain, sometimes you've got to play the devil's advocate. Um, do you find that? Um, how have you evolved in terms of a leader, in terms of tackling those situations? I think, yeah, there's a lot of gray in everyday world. Right. Um, so it does play out in, it's a complex world with complex interactions. The company is big. And there are different levels, people coming with different value systems. And that's it. most of the value systems tend to come together and they're very congruent. But there are areas of incongruence which do, you do come out with. And at any point in time, there are persons with different generations, backgrounds that they come. Like today, majority of us are 50 plus, but there's also a very young side to the organization who bring to the table a very different set ways of looking at things, very different kinds of things they look for. So things are very fluid. So how do you deal with grayness? I think it's in terms of trying to understand which of the gray is acceptable, which of the gray is not acceptable to us. Um, because as an organization, we have a method of working. There are a lot of values, which sometimes are correctable, sometimes not. So we try to be not punitive in approach, but in terms of trying to speak to them in terms of certain things which are not acceptable to the organization. If it still doesn't work out, then I think they'll have to figure a way out in terms of dealing with it by staying within the confines of the skill or looking for a way out. And there are some tones, so then you're forced to take a very tough call. So some of these are very difficult decisions to make. Because you're not just dealing with a person, but his whole family system. But at the same time, if you don't deal with it toughly at that point in time, it's like sometimes parents are forced to act tough for the children to come up well. And if you're not done that, then the child can get spoiled. So in a similar way, the whole system can get spoiled. Um, So it's in terms of discussing out some of these things, Um, as to what is acceptable, what is not acceptable to us, and then trying to understand the different sides of life. And since in our company, companies like us, generally people tend to stay on for a very long time. Uh, A difficult thing to do is to draw a line between the personal and the official, because you get to know them too well over a period of time. So sometimes it does impinge on the space of performance, space of capability or excessive adjustments to suit the individual needs. So these are very difficult choices we'll have to exercise. But fortunately, we do have a culture of discussions and culture of 
understanding each other's points of view to see what suits everyone the best and to come. Yes, there are difficult times and it's a daily activity for us. Right. It is one of the most difficult vocations, I feel. <laughs> <It> <laughs> Managing people is like... It is because, uh, I mean, just as if you have a caste system, you have a class system of cadres, you know, management. Right, really the entire... Part. Hierarchy that you got to Hierarchies, Hierarchies. And then, but then you're talking about people are yeah, right. the end of the way. And everyone's dependent on everyone. So we call it human resources. Like, you know, I mean the, the biggest building block of any organization. But there are people at the end of it and you all of them are different in, you know, yeah. every different way. So most of the times it's about uh, so therefore everyone has an anxiety factor of different right. kinds, which manifests into different things. So the issue is in terms of can I touch base before it manifests or do I wait for a manifestation to become so strong that then it becomes almost unshakable. Uh, the diagnostic versus the... <laughs> yeah, the diagnosis versus the prognostics. But if you're in touch with them, you generally understand what's happening. So the intention is to try and work out a solution before it becomes very strongly dysfunctional. Some of it is very functional. Because you can channelize in terms of saying, hey, these are the challenges before we need to do this. And I inevitably find that 99% of the folks understand that. Because they have a reading of it uh, much before you do. If you were to personally map your story in terms of, you know, the very sunny moments, or um, rather some, some of them break, what is, are there some moments that you derive inspiration from as an artist when you look back? Any milestones or any um, key Yeah, I, you know, it's something very paradoxical that uh, artists derive their aha moments more from the uh, moments of pathos than so much from the joyful <laughs> But right. and of course, mm-hmm. you do, do some sunny art, but sunny art is sunny art. It doesn't seem to touch people beyond a point in time. Mm-hmm. So most of these you derive from uh, the meaning making uh, and the introspection that you do at the end of the day. And then that is what gives you the concept of art, mm-hmm. uh, which is your own personal art in terms of your meaning making processes of experience mm-hmm. in the world and the life around you. Right. So sometimes it's something someone says stays with you. Mm. And some of the difficult life experiences that you have gone through and you're grappling with, or grappled with, I presume you're grappled with, but you find many a time you're not actually done it. It keeps leaking into you all the mm. time, I want you. So I think a lot of these shape your thinking, your questioning, and so a lot of this angst is what gets played out into mm-hmm. a canvas or a paper or a digital media, whichever way you try to do it. Right. So when you're talking, I mean, so you, artists tend to strive in chaos, in pathos? I think there is one, Some. I think why, why something is wrong with all those who get into art or artistic spaces. <laughs> there is, a, I think there is a hypersensitivity of some kind. Right. And so therefore highly strung in certain ways. Mm. So out of your high-strung ways and your world of uh, utopia, so there are always gaps. 
So I think art is a way of trying to build your steps to bridge those gaps by trying to get into those spaces. Mm-hmm. And in the process, you also try to figure out some answers for yourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, as to how pragmatic you can be is a way the utopian world that you mm-hmm. live in your head. So you're entirely self-taught, isn't it? I mean, you've not had like a guru or something. You just... I never had a guru until how three years back. How did you teach? Three years back. Until three years back, okay. Yeah. Has that made a difference then? I mean, having... It made a world of difference. I owe a lot to this particular person who's in Mumbai called uh, Mr. Dashinach Salde. Yeah. He's a very senior man. He retired as a uh, dean of JJ School of Art. So through one of my office colleagues, he got to know about my works. So he, when he met me, he told me, he thought, uh, okay, everyone says I'm an artist, so this guy also must be like that. <laughs> But uh, after he looked at some of the samples, he chose to call me up and say, you have defied every rule in the art world. <laughs> <laughs> but yet your art holds it together and not together. So I would like to teach you as to what the art, art world and its structures are all about. So my response to him has been, sir, I, since I never schooled and I don't like structures and I like my freedom mm-hmm. spaces. So my art is my freedom space. I don't want your teaching to spoil my way of looking at things. Oh, wow. He said, no, I won't. But at least you'll understand what the rules are. So you can still break them. Yeah, you know, people have broken it and made name for themselves. <laughs> so, so that's when I attended some classes of this um, three years back. It was a wonderful experience working with yeah. it, but I still continue to stick to what I do. <laughs> wonderful. Do you still learn from him? No. He's very senior and is not well these days. Okay. And, uh, but he thought all that he could because mm-hmm. he said, beyond this, it's you. Okay. Um, the time when you're teaching yourself, so how would you go and go about practicing? Was it always with you from that five-year-old who drew Goddess Lakshmi till now? Has it always been as in what strikes you? I mean, what is it that motivates you to pick up that paintbrush and take it out on canvas? I think there's a time when it comes. Sometimes you feel very compelled to go do some art for the sake of art, and I do that. That's a lot of doodling that happens. But sometimes out of the doodles, you'll get a structure to it mm-hmm. mentally, or a concept comes out as to why am I doodling so much about this. Um, so then you know, all right, your inner voice seems to be saying something that uh, you should give yourself expression to. And so sometimes there's a very serious urge to do something, but I refrain myself from doing it till it mentally forms, something is formed in my head, at least the minimum minimal outlines, and so when mm-hmm. I do that. Um, colors I've never thought about in advance, it, it just plays out. I don't know how it plays out. Mm-hmm. At that moment, you reach for a particular color and then do it. It's going on the background, I mean, I, I can just keep looking at it forever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, um, Do you paint? You said you paint from memory, right? You have like a... Yeah, only you do elephants yeah. and I think you've got the <laughs> memory also of fun. You capture it and it's just from memory. You don't really need a reference point at that point. Yeah, there's a, there's a memory. There is a... Since I have very strong memory, fortunately, it's all senses. Mm. It's oral. I remember a lot of things about what I heard and the dialogues play out. The forms, the colors, the figures, 
I see a lot of grace in human forms, irrespective of someone's shape and size or color, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And also in animals and birds yeah. and the whole life around me. So a lot of those elements of openness, so they form. Mm-hmm. At one time, I was accused of painting only beautiful women. Okay. And uh, my wife says that you have a predilection for <laughs> very long-faced beauties with unusually large eyes. And so Is on. it okay? But she says, yeah, that's you. Because mm-hmm. I keep telling her everyone seems to have a certain right. uh, memory in the fingers which seems to play out, so mm-hmm. something plays out. So it's all about memory. The only difficulty I have is sometimes when I try to make some very complex art, uh, because some of my works are also on the nude side of uh, human beings. So it's difficult. So sometimes I do look for reference to the internet in terms of looking at some of the images, in terms of the way the human figures sit. Because I don't have a studio, nor do I work with live models. So what are some of the inhibitions that you think as an artist that you'd like to shed? That maybe you've not been able to shed so far or have there in terms of really projecting yourself and really painting? Is there some kind of an ambition like that in your head that you really want to paint? But you're, not, you're kind of unsure whether what territory you'd be kind of <laughs> wading through. <laughs> so you try and be politically correct or... Yeah, I think one thing is where you are and then um, what kind of galleries you go to. And there's a lot of moral policing uh, that happens in many places. And some countries it's a taboo. And some countries uh, there is something like this is not Indian, Mm -hmm. this is not cultural. Uh, I think those are some of the inhibitions which uh, do play out in terms of what would one like to do really. Next to my mind, it's uh, it's nature, and so long as it's not uh, in your face kind of vulgarity, one needs to appreciate some of these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that said, I think one has to be very respectful about the cultural boundaries that one operates in, and uh, there, there is nothing called an absolute freedom in the world in any part of the world that mm-hmm. way that one can do yeah. and get away with. So obscenity is something that turns me off. Mm. So I wouldn't like to touch go anywhere near an obscene art that mm. way. But that's it. Uh, I think some of the mythology also, we do have some imagery which is built within the country. So mm. I think they, some of the boundaries are a little restricted. Yeah. So, so that's an issue. So that's an inhibition that one can play with. Um, but they wouldn't like you to mess with Mm. that which is considered sacred. Right. So now what is sacred is very relative in different eyes, but one has to go by the public perception too yeah. and has to give a lot of respect to it. Sure. You um, also display your work across exhibitions. Sure. So how has that experience been? Uh, is it across, uh, in Mumbai, across the country, even the world? No, world-wise, I would say I've been, I've got openings only in Paris once when, uh, very strangely, it was my very second experience. And uh, the seeds for it were sown in the very first big that I got. Mm-hmm. That was in Simbro's Art Gallery. He met a fellow artist. He said, why don't you come? We are going to Paris. I said, all right. So Paris is the Mecca of art. Right. Um, after that, I did contribute two works to... I think UK some show, mostly mm-hmm. it has been group shows. 
But I think I'm tired of group shows now because you learn quite a bit from group shows mm. in terms of different artists, different media, different expressions. But at some stage, I feel that each each one's art is one kind of art. It's very really unique to each individual. Right. And you would like to be in your own space there rather than sharing the space too much. Mm-hmm. It's like moving from community living to your own apartment. So you'd like to do that So as an artist, whom is it that you draw for? How important is that validation that you get from an audience? Uh, or, you know, uh, a kharidar of your work, you know? I think, first of all, it's myself, because I'm a very harsh critic myself of my own works. But that I said, that, that said, I, some of the things that I condemned as bad art of mine, I found some people at Marine, so, so then I realized that art is something which, which is very unique to each one in terms of right. what mm-hmm. seems to appeal to someone's aesthetics and someone's sense of identity in some ways. Uh, so the first thing is, I'm a, a very harsh critic of myself, and, I'm, and I have very good art critique in terms of my wife. Is it? Um, okay. She doesn't criticize, she's a good critique in the sense she has a good sense of Mm-hmm. looking at things and saying, hey, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I think you have done it and don't touch it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's kind of stuff. She's very intuitively capable mm-hmm. of doing that. So it's me first. I think the validations have to come from me. But I think what I try to see more in terms of the exhibiting is one is the logistics of it. How many works can you keep at your home? Correct. I'm going to ask you Looking that. after yeah. them is very tough. How do you manage that? <laughs> looking after them is very tough. And sometimes you have to switch over from the media because the local environment doesn't support it. Right. I used to I started with oils and then I found that in Mumbai they yeah. they, they get a lot of fungus. So therefore I had to switch over to acrylics. But acrylics too, are beyond the point it calls for a lot of caring. Mm. Because the cockroaches seem to be very fond <laughs> of eating into some of the paints. I don't know how it is. But to keep off acrylics, for some reason we don't like them. So it's more about getting the validation from outside in terms of where are you in terms of in your own mental uh, grading scale? Have you moved or have you not moved? Are you stuck in certain ways? And and why are you stuck? So so I think it's, it's it's very important for getting that outside in perspective but whereas today what I'm doing is an insider. I'm taking all the outside into me and doing it. Mm. And also my inside into me and putting it out on the art. But somewhere I think that whole works become very meaningful. If someone's able to look at it very critically. Mm. But that's it at the end of the day. It's for me to take which of that critique I should take in, which of it I should just give it. Right. But it's important. Validation is important. <laughs> Not for the ego per se, to begin with, it was the ego part. Mm. Because the question mark was, am I good enough to... Can I call myself even an artist? I would be very, very hesitant to say that even today. Mm. I only say, yeah, I indulge in art. Mm. But then you also answer yourself, are you being excessively modest or are you comfortable with saying yes, you're good at it? Mm. So so I think it's it's our existential question all the time, am I good at what I do? <laughs> right. right. 
Um, also the labels that we attach to ourselves. I mean, we have these designations which are the only labels I think that we, you know, it's for sure you can say you're heading the HR and BPCL. That is factual. But any kind of label anyway, I think you will have those moments when you am I good enough at it? You know, uh, do I really deserve this? I guess it's, it's a part and parcel. But the question that I want to ask you is also in terms of the value that you attach to your painting, like an, like an artist. If you had to go and, you know, I'm sure you must have sold some of your works as well. No, no, You no, haven't? Not so far. Oh. <laughs> okay, so if you had to, or if you look at the entire process of attaching a value to the piece of art that you created, basis what would that be for an artist? It's a, it wouldn't just be the number of hours or, you know. Um... Well, I, I think it's, uh, because if you look at the material that goes into creating right. an artwork, it's not very expensive. It depends on to what extent you go mm -hmm. in terms of using the most ex expensive mineral pigments. I mean, I just bought some, but I have not dared to use it so far because it's so expensive. So if you look at, even if you do that, If you look at the total cost of input cost as you look at any, you know, like manufacturing right. goods, it's not much. Correct. But that's hardly the, anything. Right. Yeah. But I think it's more the ideation, uh, the texture, the color composition. Mm. And that's something which is very unique about that piece of art. Right. Yeah. If it's very pedestrian, mm. I would say it's not much. Mm. So, but it's about What, what is it trying to convey and mm. how unique it is? And what is your individual stand that has gone into it? I think something that matters a lot. Right. And also, I think also emotionally and egoistically, where you would like to pitch yourself. Mm. I think some way that would determine the pricing mm -hmm. in terms of at what value, financial value you would like to say, all right, mm. it's yours. Yeah. But below this, I wouldn't like to do that. Yeah. That's one thing I understood by taking part in the gallery shows mm. because generally the world over, everyone tries to get the best for the least money that mm. they can part with. But then what is your rate at which you are? So that's when you kind of go back and say, oh my God, is it a price to me? Am I trying to sell myself or am I trying to sell my artwork? Right. Mm. I think that's a very critical question that each mm. person has to figure out for themselves. Are they selling themselves for a livelihood? Or are they selling the artwork at a certain rate which they think is okay for them to part with? Mm -hmm. I think that's something very relative to each person and their own background situation and so on. Now, suppose you don't understand a piece of art, mm -hmm. right? So it's always the person who's seeing the art, how much he or she parts with it. Any artist, also any famous artist, uh, some of them have died you know, as poppers and it's afterwards that they've actually <laughs> gotten the acclaim. <laughs> so really, who's an artist, you know? <laughs> the poor guy it's actually a, died. I don't know, it's a very sad story <laughs> for artists. Some yeah. of their art becomes huge after their lifetimes. And I don't know why they have to be like that. It's very yeah. sad about that. It's, it's In fact, sometimes I think there has to be a royalty system. <laughs> that for every piece of sure, work yeah, that right. he has sold subsequently, yeah. a part of it must mm -hmm. go back to the artist's family. Who seem to be still living in penury. They don't right, even know yeah. what has happened to it. Okay, uh, so as an artist, what is an outcome that you set for yourself? Is there an outcome that you already have in mind? 
Um, you're clearly doing it for yourself. Uh, you've painted so many of them. What really keeps you going and what is the outcome that you want then at the end of it? Is, is, have you already chalked it out? Is the process of you gradually dawns upon you? Is it the technique they're trying to better? What is it? I think, I think it's about uh, expressing certain things which are very difficult to express like, because mm-hmm. uh, as I am aging, as I am going through different experiences, so mm-hmm. some of the experiences are from day to day living and some of the experiences are something which you're trying to understand from a spiritual sense. Mm. Uh, I think that is when it becomes more difficult to express oneself mm. because it becomes very abstract. Right. Uh, what is spirituality all about and what is your existence all about? So you may read any number of books about who am I kind of books. But then who am I and where, where, where am I in the cosmic scheme of things if you try to express? So that would be a quest for me perhaps in terms of moving forward mm-hmm. as to how can one express those? All that is so abstract. Uh, it's very met- metaphysical at some level. The metaphysical to bring into a physical space, space is like almost like insulting the metaphysics of it. Uh, but I think that would be my quest. I'm, I'm just looking at some of the possibilities of doing some of those expressions, mm. which do not become figurative or right. becomes abstract. But at the same time, the viewer should be able to figure out some way. To engage with it. To engage with it as to what are the different meanings right. of each of those. Mm. So as I'm trying to find more meanings for myself mm. and in my life, so my quest would be to do that. So I think that's the end outcome. And post-retirement, I would love to travel all over the world with my wife and wherever I can hang my canvas at <laughs> and get that kind of validations what probably I've been seeking in my world. Mm-hmm. So when you paint, which of your faculties do you think is the most active? Is it the, is it the heart, the mind, your soul, <laughs> everything? All the three together, so then it's very tough to figure out which one is what. But as I'm aging, I realize that every part of my body has to be in sync with that. So suddenly you find your back pain catches up with you <laughs> and some shoulder ache catches up with you. And so you need to be fit as well. Yeah, I need to be very fit, which I think somewhere I need to get into that space. I'm not that fit. And uh, because the angles at which you work, right, right, right. sometimes you have to mm. put it on the ground and sprawl all over it. Sometimes you have to hang it on the wall and reach for it like that. Very different things. So it depends on the size of the work and your eyes have to work for it. So these days for some painting, I need to still use my glasses, reading glasses. So you have to do different. So it's everything about So when you're working on it ferociously and you're, you know, are you like in a state of acceleration or are you also nervous and, you know, anxious until you get that? You're very calm. Now, it's a state of flow, it's a state of excitement. Right. And uh, sometimes I forget my food. My, yeah, on the weekends when I do it, probably there's no bath time for it. So. And aren't you like always in the, what way do I take this forward? Do I take this way? Do I take that way? What's yeah, the way? It happens. <laughs> it happens. And you also need to put an end to it. When am I stopping it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, that so that's why your wife comes in. <laughs> She also, I mean, I ask her, hey, do you think it's complete or do I think it's complete? 
Sometimes she says it's not complete, but I say I tell her no, definitely no, it is over mm-hmm. to me. But sometimes she says I think probably you should take a break and don't overdo it. Maybe you will kill those you know, <laughs> things by doing something else. So it's so to me it's beautiful. Sometimes my son comes and says, "Baba, I think it's wonderful. Maybe mm-hmm. you should stop it." So. So all three of us get into it, but it's primarily me who you, take. Yeah. I take the responsibility for the final outcome. So. Do you regret it sometimes? The supposing gave gave it once a particular way, and you're like, oh my god, I think I should have gone in for the other one. You have to leave it at that and still finish that what you started, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that also works for me sometimes. So what I do is off late. I started doing multiple canvases at the same time. Oh, okay. So, which was not a thing which I would do earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and reading wise too, I started doing that yeah. because I'm drawn to this, drawn to yeah. this. So why not both <laughs> do this? And when you're in this frame of mind, mm-hmm. in this frame, on another frame of mind, read that book. Mm-hmm. So likewise, I realized art also. I can right. get, I can do some things mm-hmm. uh, because I have a severe itch to do figurative sometimes, sometimes abstract, sometimes any abstracts. How do I do that? I need to manage uh, that urge. So then I realized the only answer is I need to work with different canvases, wonders and wonders. So when my heart pushes me that way, go that side, otherwise this side. So, <laughs> so I think each one does it. So you have to figure out your own ways of balancing it out. And on a serious note, I really want to know how are you managing this? I mean, keeping all of these paintings. Where do you live? <laughs> How have you managed to? And do you have like a studio where you paint? Uh, I'll answer one by one. Mostly, Bhikshil gives us very large forms to live in, very spacious forms. Now I can see the 35 years. (laughs) (laughs) But to me, it was tough when I was junior. But as I started moving into the senior levels, it became more useful for me. (laughs) And no, I can't afford a studio. So I need to be very mindful of the company property when I paint, so I don't spoil the company <laughs> property. So I have my own plastic sheets, many things which I spread out, so flooring doesn't get spread. Not that they say anything to me. Mm. They'll get some machine to clean it up, but, right. but at my home, my wife is also very particular about the way I do yeah. things. So we take care of that. So, yeah, but studio space is expensive. Mm-hmm. Real estate is expensive. Probably at some stage, I need to hire out a space which is called your own, where you can do your own maps. Mm-hmm. You have your coffee, and then you have your thing. You sprawl your art to different things. Um, but it's a world by itself. So, so, so some illusion forget home too when you mm-hmm. have a studio. So, so you need to balance out. Yeah. How to do that, I have not come to as mm-hmm. yet. Probably post-retirement, that's where the questions will be more straight in my face. Yeah. Because we'll have to move into smaller homes. <laughs> <laughs> you're already painting so well, so I wonder if you do go get into that when you have a real space for yourself, I wonder what you'll produce then. Yeah, but one of the methods I found is, uh, I didn't know, because that's one of the pluses when you meet other artists right. in this uh, yeah. space. I go for a galvish and put your artwork together. You ask them, hey, how do you do this? How do you manage? So one thing I've learned is paint, put it on the stretcher, unhook it, roll it up, mm-hmm. and keep the roll together. Mm-hmm. So then I found the rolls are collapsing under their weight, mm-hmm. and uh, you're, you're worried about that. So then I found a simpler method. Go to the hardware shop, get the plumbing pipes, the plastic, mm-hmm. hard, durable, cheap, 
and roll your triangles around it, stick it out, and it's there. So you find your own answers. Your own jugaad. Your own jugaad. <laughs> right. So any earliest appreciation that you received, you know, which you you keep th- you say right. I mean, you still think, am I an artist? But uh, someone who said, I mean, you said spoke of the professor, but an earliest uh, some kind of appreciation which stood out, which made you kind of say that yes, I need to persevere. That this counts. Yeah, there are, there are many uncles and aunts and many used to admire, but then one most significant one came to me, I think, when I was around 15 or 16, when the first time I had a urge to do oil paints and I didn't know how to do. So I went to a shop in Chennai, Archa, asked those salesmen uncle, how do you do this kind of explain? So I did that. Then one uncle came from Hyderabad and he said, hey, you're doing well. And I have so-and-so friend, I'll take you. So I gave my reference. To my shock, I found that she was a very senior, serious connoisseur of art. I'm told she's still there in Chennai. Mm-hmm. Her name is Mrs. Sarah Abraham. Okay. Uh, she was a kid light and uh, a rich kid like that too, with a beautiful home in Egmont, full of all original collections of all the masters. Mm-hmm. MF Hussein, who take any name, it was there. Wow. She looked at it and she was like, Kind. Mm-hmm. And uh, she told me, Beta, you're doing very well. And uh, But where did you get this picture from? Mm-hmm. So I said, Madam, from Illustrated Weekly of India, there's a picture mm-hmm. of Rajasthani women I copied. And then she said, Did you duplicate it exactly as mm-hmm. it is, or you made your own changes? I said, I made my own changes to it, it's not the tone. She said, Yes. But she said, One advice I would give you, you have potential. Never copy a picture. Mm. Create your own art because art is finally individualistic. Mm. There's nothing perfect to something called art. So now I'm 58 nearly, so mm. that many years are over. But it's the advice given by Mrs. Sarah Abraham, um, which I still hold very, very close to my heart in terms of what she gave me. And uh, that has really helped me quite a bit. Mm. in terms of never to copy a thing. You will challenge yourself. Yeah, you have to challenge yourself. It's very easy to copy Mm. and say, I've done this. But then it's it's a copy is a copy, ultimately. There's nothing authentic about it. Right. So it's a brilliant piece of advice. The lady's very old. I'm told she's in Chennai. Mm. I hope to go and meet her one day. Yes, and you should at least mail these to her. Take her blessings. (laughs) But very surprisingly, I later came across her niece, uh, whose husband was working in our company. Mm-hmm. So when she was wow. appreciating, okay. and then she asked me a question like this, I said, she said, you know, that's my aunt. So, wow. okay. <laughs> so I told her, please do convey to your aunt my deepest regard. She may not remember me at all. Right, wonderful. Okay, in what way would you say your art has, passion for art has colored your professional sphere? <laughs> If at all it has, I'm sure it should have. It has, it has. Yeah. Um, see, there came a stage in my life, I, I used to work with very small formats in terms of canvas size and mm. that. And so and at some stage I decided no, I must go big. I don't know why. So I then went and bought a very large canvas and then I, it was there and I was not touching it. So mm. I was wondering why I was not touching it. So then it came, many things came to me, many insights. One of them being, 
I'm scared of moving from a small medium to a large format. So I had to question myself, I got my own answers. So then I had to ask myself, am I doing it in the workplace too? Uh, am I scared of dreaming big or thinking big or if a very large project is given to me, how would I react to it? Would I say I'm not up to it? Mm-hmm. Or even if others are saying, yes, you're capable, am I still rejecting? I found some of the answers were very frighteningly true. Mm-hmm. I was doing that. Um, so that was a big eureka moment for me. And uh, I said, no, I should do both. Okay. <laughs> so I became more open when people said, you are capable of doing it. I was able to accept it. And so one of the insights I got was some of the upbringing of the middle class background. You're supposed to be very modest all the time mm. and never say that you're mm-hmm. good at this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, somewhere in our culture, they always yeah. drill into you too much. Mm-hmm. So, so much so it's tough for you to take a compliment, tough mm-hmm. for you to accept your own reality. And someone says, you're no longer that, but this, you're no longer incompetent, you're competent, you're mm-hmm. talented. It becomes very tough for us to accept it. Uh, so it was a very agonizing period of two weeks till the black canvas was there. Mm-hmm. Because every time it was kind of mocking me saying, you're not capable of touching this. So I had to face <laughs> my own realities to say, where am I capable of touching this and what, what exactly is happening? Mm-hmm. So sometimes uh, the inanimate things speak to you or trigger different things in you, which if you're mindful about it. Mm-hmm. If you're not, then I went and then took my largest to brush and then took all my colors and then I just went in the tank. Mm-hmm. And all my fears were unfounded because I created a brilliant piece of work to myself and it just wow. So it's good. It teaches you many things. It teaches you many things in many walks of life as what exactly are you doing with yourself? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately you're not you're doing Art is nothing but a metaphor of your life. Mm. So everything of your head, your heart, and soul, body, many things, you're doing that too. Mm. So if you're very small in your heart and this, that, I think, you know, I realized that my heart was small. Mm. It was definitive. It has to be perfect. Mm. Then I realized all this kind of spoils your flow. It's like water wants to gush and you're right. just trying it. to yeah, you're damp it. You know? yeah. Like you need to let go of it. So then it flows. So that's the one that uh, kind of, that's insight. Fortunately, that came at the right time in my life. So I was in the mid-level of my career, so I could do many things. Okay, so now we go on to photography. <laughs> You're an avid photographer as well. Yeah. Uh, how did that start? I had an uncle who was very good in both my uncles were very good photographers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was my mom's brother, he's no more. Other one is the other uncle who was a self-taught artist, who was a brilliant photographer. Mm-hmm. So what always fascinated me was the control of and the play of uh, Light and darkness, and particularly in black and white format, the color formats have spoiled it because the color takes away your eye, but not the compositional value mm. of black and white. So I'm a great admirer of the old black and white movies, particularly Mr. Gurudath and that kind of genre. Yeah. They used to brilliantly play with black and white. So 
as a young kid, I used to watch those black and white movies and then see these black and white pictures and looking at those boxes, mm-hmm. magic boxes by which they take. It was very unaffordable to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first job, when I got into BPCL, one of the very first salary I gave at home and did some things, bought gifts at home. But thereafter, I gifted myself with a Pentax um, K1000 film camera, which is still there with me, which okay. is still working. And I still loaded with a black and white film, not color. Uh, so it teaches you a lot about composition. Mm-hmm. And uh, these days, of course, things have gone digital. Those days, yeah. those were analog cameras. So you need to control mm-hmm. uh, the element of light and how the magic unveils right. itself. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of excitement uh, till it gets developed and you get the print. So, of course, there were very disappointing moments. First time I loaded a huge film. I thought I got brilliant shots, and then he only charged me 10 rupees for development, no prints. Mm-hmm. I said, why? He said, your film didn't move at all in time. No. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh my God. So he said, you know, when your film moves, this rotates, so you should be very mindful about it. So I didn't know. So there's a lot of learning that happens. Expensive lesson. Yeah. An expensive lesson. <laughs> and those days it was films, expensive. Mm-hmm. So therefore, uh, you also need to have a control at the same time. You're not clicking away to glory, which digital enables you to do and delete today. But that time it was not so. So it was about stability and, uh, you know, your hands have to be stable like a surgeon's hands. Mm -hmm. So like painting also calls that rigor, that your hands have to be strong. The brush is not straight, shaking. And cameras too are like that. Mm-hmm. So I even today I don't use tripods. Fortunately, God has blessed me with strong hands. And so only in some situations, when the birds are very frisky, I need a mm-hmm. the birds are very frisky. You don't right. get a perfect shot. You need to take many digital yeah. shots for you to get a good one. So, so there's a lot common between these two. I didn't ask you how often do you paint in a way? As in, is it like an ex, is it is it like a ritual? <laughs> Now, if you make a ritual, that means you're compelling yourself to do it. But to me, it happens all the time. Unfortunately, the company has given me an iPad, and uh, so I keep doodling all the time. And then the flights, how long do you read? Right. So I read, I do this, I do that, different things. What's the longest stretch that you've painted? As in, just locked yourself in up and you lost track of time? Seven hours. Seven hours straight? Yeah. Without eating... I got up on a Sunday morning, I was in my shabbiest clothes. I just spread out three canvases. Uh, that was the first time I was trying to do three at a time, mm-hmm. same time, mm-hmm. it was an abstract. And because once you mix the colors, you don't get the same mix again. You not you don't have a perfect mm-hmm. recipe for it. So it comes, it comes. Mm-hmm. So you need to use. And all three were similar, but very dissimilar at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I spread on the ground. So it was each was two feet by two feet. So therefore, there were three together. So it was six feet on. Mm-hmm. So I was on the ground, rolling myself all over, doing this. <laughs> it was a Sunday morning. So by the time I finished, it was 4 p.m. or something. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what about your photography? As in, how do you how do you decide? Okay, I'm going to go and photo- photograph now. How often is it? I think these days it's that teachers come down a bit. Uh, okay. Because uh, the digital side, 
I find that its own demand because the equipment doesn't last at all. Mm-hmm. So you need to buy a humidity box, all kinds of stuff. And by the time you see a bird and you set your thing, that's gone. The bird is gone. So photography has come down a bit. Um, but fortunately, iPhones and uh, iPads also have good cameras. So mm-hmm. these are like good travel companions. So thereafter, I take forward those. And sometimes it also serves as the base for my own mm-hmm. painting. Some elements of it, I can lose it. Uh, like there are some street scenes, for example, you'll see a street vendor in a particular style. So the angle in which that person mm-hmm. is sitting goes up again sometimes. Mm-hmm. You can't always get out of memory or it's mm-hmm. imperfect. Yeah. So this helps you to borrow from that and then look at it. Do you uh, refer to your photographs and in terms of when you're creating art as well? I'm sorry? When you take a shot, suppose mm-hmm. you like it something, something so much it motivates you, do you refer that to create an artwork? Sometimes. Not always. Okay. Because that really is not copying, right? It's <laughs> in not, in a way. because it's my own. Yeah, it's your own. I think my own is not copying. <laughs> You've captured that moment. Yes, <laughs> I've captured the moment I can use it. But if I'm borrowing your work, also it's not a copy because then, so long as I don't make it exactly, because if I have to paint a photograph into a painting to look exact, mm. what, what is my painting all about? Your photograph has already done it. Yeah. And so why should I replicate that onto canvas? I, I can just simply do a canvas print. So that's absurd to me. Unless I bring something else. Into that, yeah. Some, some element is totally different. Character changes. Would you say a painting then is more uh, gives you more freedom than uh, than photography? Painting gives you infinite opportunities um, because uh, you can stretch the time okay. and space mm-hmm. uh, to suit you, mm-hmm. and you can use any tint or a shade that you like. Right. But photography is not so because that moment is that moment. Mm-hmm. So the essence element there is of time. Right. And that time of sunset when the colors are brilliant, the clouds are in a certain way, you wait for a better moment, it doesn't come. So you have to take it. Yeah. You may, subsequently, you may not like it or you yeah. may have seen a better thing, you may discard that. doesn't matter. But it's element of time there. In painting, the time can be made last. Right. So you like to capture nature more on your camera? Photography? Photography is more... That and these streets, because people fascinate me right. a lot mm-hmm. in terms Just of their location. Mm-hmm. Maybe a beggar, maybe mm-hmm. someone who do that more whipping themselves <laughs> and very colorful costumes. Mm-hmm. Men wearing something yeah, like sure. a lenga and whipping themselves in the city. Very interesting people. Mm-hmm. So. Wonderful. Okay. Um, what is the one trait? Is there any trait that you had to unlearn? Um, in photography, which you have in art? I think you'll be surprised I find the elements common. Okay. The, uh, the same rules, the grammar that holds true for painting, mm. in terms of composition, the depth, the perspective, many of these hold true for photography. Because photography is something which evolved later, mm. and painting is always there. Mm. So one thing I realized that the fundamental rules are the same. Mm. 
the depth of field, everything. Mm. Everything comes from the world of painting and its grammar and roots. Mm. So the very same thing holds true here. Okay, great. Now, towards the conclusion of this, in terms of, you know, some questions, in terms of the success, work-life balance and all of that. So when you, um, what's the definition of success? How would you define success? Yeah, it changes. Uh, the, uh, it's, it's a shifting world. Mm. So when you're young, what you don't have, probably you look at it as a world of success. Mm. Uh, you look at a title, you look at money, you look at certain acquisitions, material acquisitions, uh, you know, driving a car, many things, a lot of materialistic symbols are there. But as you grow older, uh, of course money is important, but it shouldn't be so important that it drives your life into craziness, mm-hmm. because the world is not just money. It's not just designations. But sometimes you get designations, but they're meaningless. Uh, but to me, success is, at the end of the day, you you have that sense of feeling, mm. not necessarily others are clapped for you, because they may clap for you because to be politically correct. Mm. But are you able to clap for yourself and say, hey, I, I think I've done the right thing? Mm. And are you able to sleep well without any deep regrets about it? Mm. And are you able to introspect and figure out where you can improve? And you're done with a wee bit of improvement in yourself which has uh, kind of restored your own inner balance of some ways. Mm-hmm. I think that to me becomes very successful at a point in time. And how many lives are you able to touch and are you able to help at least a few people who can't help the whole humanity? Have you helped a few people understand mm-hmm. themselves better? Because materially you may not be able to help them. But in terms of through your reach mm-hmm. and through your actions, through your words, are you able to do something? I think that, to me, end of the day, success. Mm. Because how happy you make yourself and how happy you can make others. Why it's difficult to do so all the time. Mm. Right. So when you look back at your journey, what is... And you look back at yourself and where you reach now, what, what have you done? What is What amazes you about yourself? how I could do that. And, and so then I understand that there are greater forces at work um, mm-hmm. which have pushed me. Mm-hmm. I'm not a perfect guy even today, and I've never been perfect. And uh, but one thing I've learned to appreciate is that, thank God I understand that I'm not perfect and I understand I'm not full. Because I'm so full, I wouldn't have had anything to receive at all. And for a long time, I had a difficulty receiving things from people. Mm-hmm. But one thing I've understood is if I don't go seek that help, I can never make success out of anything at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while asking for help doesn't come easy to me even today, mm-hmm. but I don't hesitate when I think that I'm going to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Where I can do myself and that help is not required, I'm not taking someone's time unnecessarily, mm-hmm. I don't do that. But where it's important to me and an absolute must and then I'm completely lost, I need to take my help. So I take the help from Neha Mm -hmm. here, sitting here, and many others are very young people. They're capable of doing many things which I can't. Mm -hmm. So I I happily take help. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Um, What are you committed to keep alive in you? 
I'll conclude with this. My spontaneity, <laughs> the child in me. And, uh, there is still that funny fellow in me mm-hmm. who wants to do many things. And uh, so I want to keep that part alive and not be too, too serious and then the life stops being life. Mm-hmm. So I, I would love to do that. I, I get awed by a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So... I get taught by the way how people do certain things, how they cook well, how they do this, how they weave a fabric and how they do something. So I would love to explore all those things. Probably go doing videography of all the old grannies and mm-hmm. Indian cooking, which is Spanish, and which is not the same anymore. And do many things like that. Yeah. Wonderful. We wish you all the best. Thank and you very much. You know, I hope it always continues your childlike wonder, your lovely pieces of art. Thank you very much. <laughs> that you also find a very discerning but appreciative audience. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Makar, hi. Uh, welcome to CXO Fun Facts. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. <laughs> Thank you. And we'll be firing a set of hopefully fun questions, which we believe you'll have fun answering. Sure. Okay, like a warm-up. <laughs> and since you're an artist, and this is also the most cliched question, but I'm very intrigued to ask you this question. Which is your favorite color? It's blue. Blue, you too. <laughs> blue. Blue is my favorite I thought it would be something else. It, should, it could have been a rainbow, right? <laughs> I have a full rainbow, but among them, blue and green seem to come closest. Okay, is it nature and the water? <laughs> I just can't put my finger to it, but it's blue all the time. So. Blue. Okay, great. And which color do you think represents you? Red. Red. Okay. The fiery red. <laughs> Wonderful. Who's your favorite artist? There are many, many, many to name. A couple of them? Couple of them will be Van Gogh, right? Da Vinci. Mm-hmm. I like Rembrandt. Okay. Any Indian ones? Mr. Hussain. Uh, well, it's Mr. Kaitonde. Okay. Wonderful. A portrait you would like to draw, and also an episode from an epic, if you could recreate it. Have you already done so? Any portrait that you could draw? Uh, I have done a few portraits and, uh, yeah, from the epics, I would think of Mahabharat. Okay. Uh, because to me, it uh, represents more like the daily conflicts and very well captured. Is it the scene of the Arjuna and the Krishna as well or which one would it be from Mahabharat? There are many, many, um, like the birth of Draupadi and yeah. the birth of all the Pandavas. That's quite interesting. Yeah, and yeah. The, uh, the key scene of what really happens in the Sabha, Guru Sabha, okay. which leads to the entire unraveling of, of the, the conflict yeah. of Mahabharat. There are many scenes from the forest where they live. Mm-hmm. So there are many, many things up there. But I think the key to the whole thing is uh, what really happens in their childhood and then what really happens when they grow up. Right. And finally, when the whole Mahabharat unravels. So mm-hmm. those are the scenes. Portraits, um, 
I would love to do some of the political leaders. Okay. Um, but they're no more. So it's tough to say that. So who was them? Mrs. Gandhi. Okay. Uh, for one. And um, also Mr. Mandela. What fascinates you about their personality? Is it or? I think they're very strong personalities, uh, visionaries in their own right. Okay. And um, it's about their times and the kind of things that they had uh, faced in their lives. So, which really was a kind of edged out on their faces. So, and another one is Mr. Barack Obama. Right. I'm quite a fan of his. Many more, but, uh, but these are the ones to begin with. Wonderful. Um, you photograph as well. You like to photograph as well. Yeah. So, any... What is, is there an object or something that you'd rather photograph than paint? Is it a scenic view or? It's a nature. It's nature. It's nature. Right. Whatever you try to do, even photography doesn't do justice to it. Okay. Painting can be a little bit uh, exaggeration of what the nature is. Right. And nature is so quick mm-hmm. and silver-footed, so it's very tough to capture. Capture it. Yeah. Right. Great. Okay. Um, you t- you like to travel? And I love to travel. You love to travel. That has to come, right? I think with yeah, an artist. Yeah. I like to wander quite a bit. I love mountains. The mountains. Yeah. Okay, so which is your favorite holiday destination? I don't have one in mind uh, which I've been to, which is etched in my head so much, but I would love to go someday to the South Himalayas or the Himalayas and spend some time. So there's no retreat of yours wherein you know, those artists the imagination takes over and you just want to be left in. <laughs> it hasn't happened so far. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, an experience which moved you to sponta- spontaneously capture it on canvas. Yeah, I, I came across some very interesting people in airports and uh, I came back and then grew because there was one particular person when I went to Watermarks and uh, it was a very old woman mm-hmm. and uh, she had so much of life etched on her face. So I came home and painted and she immediately connected up. And she said, it is this person that is so. Uh, so likewise, there was a singer, the famous singer, I'm not getting a name, from Pakistan, Reshma. Okay. So I was very humbled by her, very humble appearance for all that she was. So there are some like these which I like to capture there and there. Okay, so do you have like a notebook with you and a pencil with you? No, mentally. Mentally? Mentally, it's all right. So you capture it like that, you work on memory. I work on memory. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, Uh, are you superstitious? Not much. Okay, we'll leave that question. (laughs) (laughs) A personality you admire and would like to know better? Mr. Walmart. Okay. What about him intrigues you? I think uh, his mixed race and then the kind of views he holds about the world, very moderate. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that I think he was one of the, uh, what they call the colored person who came up with there. Mm-hmm. And a difficult childhood, mm-hmm. and mixed parentage and so on. So, but yet he held himself with so much of grace and dignity in terms of his dealings with people and the world views. Yeah. Okay, you like to read a lot, right? I like to read a lot. So, a couple of books that you like to recommend for reading? Fiction, non-fiction, 
There's one which was very good to me, which is non-fiction, which is uh, by a person called Greg Mortensen. And he wrote a series of books. One of them is, it begins with, uh, the first book is called Three Cups of Tea. And uh, it's a very interesting book. And from there, he went on into school, I think turning stones into schools. And there's a third book, which I don't recollect. Uh, This was very fascinating to me. Khalid Husseini is another, yeah. I, I quite like him. Uh, the Kite Runner, right. uh, to me it was reminiscent of certain right. things of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And he got it very, very well, very poignant writer. Mm-hmm. There was one more, I'm sorry, I'm not able to recollect his name, but it's about, uh, it's an Iraqi writer, it's about his missing father. Right. And I'm not getting the name of that. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of pain and pathos, mm-hmm. and, uh, but at the same time, maturity in terms of how it deals with. So you need to have you. like an emotional connect, more in terms of... It's very emotional, and uh, mm-hmm. these all world stories, and they all seem to have a universal fiber around their arm. So these yeah. are some very beautiful books that I've come across. Mm-hmm. So, and music. You like music as well. I love music. So you like to... Listen to it primarily, or you also sing? Do you play an instrument? I think I sing all right, and uh, but not many have admired that so far. So, so why don't we have you sing? <laughs> Come on! I would rather not shock you. You just walked into that. <laughs> I would rather speak about what kind of music I listen to. It's more uh, the Indian classical, right? As well as some of the Western music and the old film music of Hindi and. My mother tongue, Telugu. Okay. I also love uh, the Rabindra Sangeet of Bengal. Okay. Uh, I have a Bengali connection at home, mm-hmm. so so that has introduced the Bengali element into it. Wonderful. I think that would also explain your artistic. <laughs> no, I think it kind of goes together as a package. I don't know what begins where. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm sure. Okay. Um, you like to watch movies? I do. Any movie that you like? There was one recently I watched. I am, or anything that you'd like to keep watching? I like watching the Western more. Okay. Um, because I think they're more contemporary and right. then their themes are a little out of it's, the world. Yeah, right. And they're not the mainstream. It's not the boy and girl. Sure, movie. sure, right. Boy meets the girl runs around, so some of them are really good. Right. Even in Telugu cinema, I think we just have that, right? Mostly it's... No, I avoid that. The, the action end. Never, never. <laughs> Completely avoid that. Right. Okay. Which is your favorite comfort food? Are you a foodie? I used to love food, but a lot of sensitivities to food these days. So the safest food I love these days, I've developed a lot of love for millets. So the simpler the food is, the better for me. So all the millets, which are just cooked, and you put something in it and eat. Just stir fry and eat it, that's it. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Tell us three facts about yourself. Um... Lesson known facts about yourself. Uh, people, I look very serious. People think that I'm extremely serious, but there's a fun <laughs> side to me which they don't know. Uh, they think I'm very intelligent, which I'm not. But you're very wise then to have realized this, right? I, I think that's what, what they say. <laughs> but I don't know what it is, but then I'm not. I'm pretty average that way. Uh, the third one. I can be very short in word. Is it? Yeah, but these days it's camouflage. They don't know it much. 
so many years in corporate life, I think. <laughs> you... Yeah, because as it is, the first one, it frightens them. So if I show the third one, <laughs> it frightens them most. <laughs> right. What is your biggest fear? Biggest fear? Fear. Oh, being lost in a room with no openings at all. So I, I love all outdoors and everything open, right. sunlight. So I hate darkness. Mm. And confined spaces. So you need to love light. I love light. Yeah. And I need a lot of openings so to get out of a fair place when I want to. So. But marker is, if you were to complete that, but marker is. Simple guy trying to find out what life is all about. <laughs> Wonderful. Let us know if you come to know <laughs> what it is. You need to let us know too if you come, if you figure out what life is all yeah. about. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Okay, the final question now. Which chapter of your life would you like to, you know, perhaps paint it on canvas? A fa- any favorite episode and if, that you would like to paint? There are many. Uh, childhood had a lot of very funny episodes and uh, which sometimes I took too very seriously and later I realized that there was no proof right. to it. So I see a lot of comedy over there, mm-hmm. but that time I didn't. So it's tough to paint, but uh, I think that would be a very interesting part to paint. Okay. In terms of the caricatures of many of the elderly relatives who used to frighten me or mock at me and stuff like that. But okay. as I grew up, I realized that they're very strange creatures. And there's a very funny side to them which we have not seen. Right. So that would be one some fun side I would love to do. Um, also the sides which they try to hide from people. Mm-hmm. in terms of trying to be very mature and patriarchal mm-hmm. and matriarchal. So those are the sides that I would like to bring out into painting or writing at some stage. Okay, wonderful. You should do that. I should. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thank you.